Tonight I'm going to talk about Satisabhajanya. I talked about it yesterday in regard to the Satipatthana Sutta. Remember? Mindfulness and clear awareness of full comprehension. These two words are used very often in the suttas. They are usually paired together. Each of them has got different functions. The function of mindfulness is simply to bring a past object to the mind's attention. That's all. The past object could be a distant past, like a past life, or intermediate past, like your childhood, or immediate past, like hearing, like a thought that had just occurred, or the chain of thoughts that has led to the current thought, or the immediate past thought. That is the job of mindfulness, is just to bring an object from the past to the mind's attention. Then, the job of sabajanya, or clear awareness, is to put together all these things and understand them. Sati or mindfulness does not have wisdom. Its function is just to bring a past object to the mind's attention. That's all. And you need sati for everything, whether you do open awareness or you do focus awareness. When you do focus awareness, for example, you are trying to be mindful of your breath. You just keep on watching your breath, coming back to it. There's no wisdom involved. You just want to compose your mind. Keep your mind focused on one object and not be distracted by thoughts, feelings or perceptions. Sambhajanya is the other part of the mind and its job is to understand. The job of sati is not to understand. But then, Sambhajanya also needs sati and sanya in order to understand. Let's look at sati and sanya, how they are related. Both of these are memory. Both of these are related to memory. Sanya is spontaneous memory. When you see something, you immediately recognize it. When you hear a sound, immediately you recognize that's an insect, that's a frog, that's a lizard, that's a motorbike. You don't have to think about it. If, on the other hand, like you said, you forgot where you put your bag. The bag is not with me. Now, where is it now? Now, you start to use your mindfulness to figure out when was the last time I took off my bag? That is mindfulness. That is deliberate memory. The relationship between sati and sanya is that when you have developed sati sufficiently, then sanya begins to be. It sort of becomes sanya. It doesn't really become sanya because they are two separate things. But we do, if your sati, if it's done continuously for a long time, then the sanya will arise. That is related to this sati. I will give you a very good example. Say you are learning a new language. Say you want to learn Burmese. So when you learn Burmese, you want to learn the characters, the script, 
and you have to learn the pronunciation. Initially, you will need a lot of mindfulness. You have to use a lot of deliberate memory work. You have to memorize this character stands for this sound, and this sound has to be pronounced in a certain way. You have to articulate your tongue and your voice box to produce that particular sound in a very deliberate way. But eventually, when you become skilled in Burmese, you don't have to have any effort at all. It just comes automatically because it has become sanya. Now these two, deliberate memory and spontaneous memory, are the building blocks for sabajanya to operate. Sabajanya can only work and piece things together and understand how things work because of sati and sanya. Without any recognition, without any identification, without any past experiences, how are you going to connect things together? You cannot. From the spiritual point of view, samvajanya means having the right view. The right view is right at the beginning of the noble evil path. With right view, then you begin to see things from a certain angle. Like just now I was saying, yeah, I can watch my mind. I can see my thoughts. That's the job of sati. Sati can see your thoughts. Can see what's going on in your mind. Can see your emotions. But then, you think that is yours, not my feelings, my judgment, my comments. That's wrong view. With right view, then sabajanya can look at that and see that it is not mine, not me, not myself. Why? Because of cause and condition. It's because of this cause and this condition. That's why. This comment, this judgment, this thought, this recognition arose. I did not purposely make it arise. It arose because of this cause and condition. If this cause and this condition were not there, then it wouldn't have arisen. That is samvajanya. That is clear awareness that understands. It's not sati. Sati doesn't understand. But then, samvajanya is dependent on sati and sanya. <laughs> sanya also comes from continual application of sati. Let's say, for example, you listen to dharma talk, and then people tell you what is right view. Okay, right view means to see that everything, all sankharas, all things that arise due to causes and conditions, exhibit the three signs of anicca, dukkha, anatta: impermanent, suffering, and not self. That's right view, but it's only intellectual. You understand it, you accept it, you believe in it, but you have not verified it. That sort of right view has to be remembered. Let's say you want to take notes. Taking notes is physicalization of sati. If you are really paying attention, sati is the one that's taking notes in your mind. Sati is the one that's trying to remember. That's what he says. Remember. When you remember a lot, then it becomes sanya. And when it becomes sanya, then when sabajanya works, then you will make use of this to look at things in that way. Uh, so now that I tell you, then you will remember it, and the next time, when you see your thoughts arise, comments, your judgments, your decisions arise, 
Then you try to look at the cause and condition, and then you see, oh, this is the cause, and this is the condition. Then you put it together and say, oh, it's not me, not mine, it's not myself. That is Sabajanya at work. That could also be Sanya instead of Sabajanya. Sabajanya is the one that really understands it intuitively, not intellectually. Supposing you see your thoughts come and go. You see your emotions come and go. You see them change. And then you say, oh, there's Anicca, because it rose and passed away. Because I read it somewhere or because Bhante says so. That is not true insight. That is actually Sanya. You are remembering what you read or what you said spontaneously. Bhante said this. Now I must try to verify this. And then you try to intellectualize. That is also not real insight. That could be Sambhajanya. Because Sambhajanya has a range. It ranges from intellectual understanding to the use of intelligence on how to apply what you have learned and finally to insight. So there is a range of Sambhajanya from intellectual understanding to using intelligence to apply what you understand and then to actual insightful understanding. In the Satipatthana Sutta, or rather, not only in the Satipatthana Sutta, in two suttas, in the Sangyutta Nikaya, the connected discourses of the Buddha on the four establishments of mindfulness, there are two suttas, both of them have the same name, it's called Sati Sutta. One is found in the beginning of the Satipatthana Sangyutta, and the other one is found towards the end. In these two suttas, the Buddha encouraged the monks to dwell with mindfulness and clear awareness. And then the Buddha asked, how then monks should a monk dwell mindfully? And he said, a monk should dwell contemplating the body in the body, feelings in feelings, mind in mind, dhammas in dhammas, ardent, clearly aware, mindful, having subdued longing and dejection in regard to the world. So actually he's saying that if you want to be mindful, you practice the four Satipatthanas, the four establishments of mindfulness. Then he asks, how then should the monk act with clear awareness? This is in the first Satisutta. And then he talks about when the monk is walking forwards or when he turns around and walks back, or when he looks forwards, or he looks to the back, or when he stretches or bends his limbs, and he carries his bowl and robes, and he's eating, drinking, tasting, when he is defecating, urinating, when he's standing, walking, sitting, and so forth. And towards the end, he talks about when he's awake, when he's asleep, when he's talking, when he's keeping quiet. That is found in the first sutta. So all these may look like it's all physical activities. That's why in some meditation techniques, they ask you to be aware of your physical sensations when you are moving, and then so they do so in a very slow way so that you can be mindful, lifting, pushing, placing, and so forth. That is in the first Satisutta. The second Satisutta, the Buddha asks, 
The same question, how should a monk be mindful or dwell mindfully? And he answers it in the same way, by practicing the four establishments of mindfulness. But for the second part, how should a monk be clearly aware? Then he says, here a monk knows his feelings as they arise, as they persist, and as they pass away. He knows initial thinking, or vitaka, as it arises, persists, and passes away. He knows perceptions as they arise, persist, and pass away. He's talking about these three mental things. Talking about feelings, vitaka, initial thinking, and tanya, perception. So you will see there's a kind of a difference. In the first Satisutta, he talks about what appears to be physical activities. When he describes clear awareness, how to act with clear awareness, he talks about all these physical activities. In the second Sutta, he says, how should a monk be clearly aware? And then he talks about mental activities. He talks about Vedana, Vitaka and Sanya. Feelings, uh, initial thinking and perceptions. So one is physical, one is mental. When we talk about Sabajanya or clear awareness, we are actually talking about both. Or rather, when the Buddha talked about physical activities, he says he should act with clear awareness. Is he talking about being aware of the physical movements? Or is he talking about the feelings, perceptions, and thinking that goes on before, during, and after those activities. I would think that it is not limited to physical activities. Their awareness is being aware of the thoughts, feelings, and perceptions associated with all those physical activities that the Buddha mentioned. Now the Buddha has told us when to be clearly aware when you're doing all those things. When you're doing all those things, when you're walking, when you're standing, when you're eating, when you're drinking, when you're tasting, when you're defecating, whatever you're doing, when you're sleeping, when you are keeping quiet, when you're talking. These are the times that you should be clearly aware, which means to say, all the time that you're awake. <laughs> then, when it talks about what to be clearly aware? He says he knows the Vedana, Vitaka and Sanya. The feelings, the thoughts and the perceptions as they arise, persist and pass away. The first one is talking about when. When are you clearly aware? When you're doing all those things. What are you supposed to be clearly aware of? Of those three mental things. Your feelings, your perception and your thoughts. But then he didn't tell us how. How are we to be clearly aware of our feelings, of our thoughts, and of our perceptions? He didn't tell us, but the commentaries gave us some guidelines. What I call the bar test, B-A-R-R. -R. When a thought, a feeling, or a perception arises, you have to investigate it and put it to the bar test. 
in order to be clearly aware of what it is and whether you want to pursue it or not. So the thought arises or the feeling arises or the perception arises and then you look at it and see whether it's beneficial. If it's beneficial, then you go on to the next one, which is A, whether it's appropriate. If it's appropriate, then you go on to the next one, which is relevant. Is it relevant? Is it not relevant? And finally, if it passes that, you go on to the last R, which is realistic. B-A-R-R. Beneficial, appropriate, relevant, and realistic. The commentaries talk about this from a meditative point of view. The example given in the commentary is supposing you are a yogi, you're a meditator, and then there is a festival in the stupa down there. Is it beneficial for a yogi to go and witness that event? It's not, it's not beneficial because it will disrupt all your meditation. It doesn't pass the B, so forget it. If the thought arises, then forget it. Don't pursue it. Supposing reading, reading Dhamma books is beneficial, isn't it? A thought arises in you, you want to go and read Dhamma books to clarify your knowledge. It is beneficial, but is it appropriate? Not in these circumstances, because I told you not to read books. Read your own mind. Okay, so it's not appropriate. So you, since it's beneficial, but it's not appropriate, you trash it. Something else. And a fellow yogi is sort of misbehaving. Not keeping noble silence. And then a thought arises in you whether you should go and tell that fellow yogi to keep noble silence. Is it beneficial? Yeah, it's beneficial because we are all supposed to keep noble silence. Is it appropriate? Well, you could say it is because we want to have conducive conditions to, to practice. And then the next one is R. Is it relevant to you? Is it your job to go and tell the fellow yogi to shut up? So it may not be your job. <laughs> so if it's not, then forget it. It's the teacher's job. If it's not your job, then you forget it. If something else arises in your mind, something, a big project, like you say, walking through those rocks there is very dangerous. Maybe we should go and tie a big rope there so that you can hang on to the rope and climb the rocks safely. Supposing it passes through the BAR, but the last R is realistic. And now you're a yogi, and how are you going to get the resources to go and get this big piece of rope and get there to tie it? It's not realistic. But then, from the meditative point of view, when we talk about realistic, we are talking about realistic from the three characteristics and cause and condition. Supposing it doesn't pass the first B, a thought or intention arises in you, and it doesn't pass the B, then you trash it. You're not going to follow it. Instead of just trashing it, you might as well make use of it as organic fertilizer for the tree of wisdom. You look at it in terms of cause and conditioning. How did that intention arise? 
For example, you hear a festival going on at the stupa, this intention of wanting to go arises, and then you find that it's not beneficial to you because you're a yogi, so you trash it, you're not going. So instead of just trashing it, you might as well find out and see why is there this intention that wants to go to see the festival? How did it arise? The cause is probably because someone told you. That's the cause. What is the condition? Condition is you're a yogi, you're boring, you want to get some entertainment. <laughs> see, that's the cause and condition. That's why this intention arose. But anyway, it is not beneficial, so you're not going to follow it. So you see that it is not mine, not me. It arose because of cause and condition. That is the last R. If it doesn't pass the B-A-R, any of the B-A-R, then you just look at it in terms of cause and condition. And it's impermanent, not mine, not myself. Uh, it's impermanent, it's suffering, not myself. Maybe it's more difficult to see that. But it's easier to see cause and conditioning. How that intention arose. Or if it's a feeling. While you're hiking, suddenly you felt very unpleasant. Tony was saying, he saw some rubbish on the ground. And immediately, there's this dislike arising in his mind, the judgment. And how can people pollute the environment and so forth? This thing comes up. It's an unpleasant thing. So you have to look at it from the last hour. How did it arise? You're not going to pursue it. There's nothing you can do about it. It doesn't pass the bar test, but you can look at it that it is product of cause and condition. Because you saw, and then because there are past conditioning. So you see, oh, not mine, not me, not myself. Let it go. So this is how you use the bar test. You get it? In the course of the day, there are hundreds or hundreds of intentions arising in you. There are also feelings arising in you. There are also perceptions. Supposing you see something along the way. For example, we were walking through the forest this morning and then... We heard and we smelled and we saw a tractor excavating a road. When you perceive that, what went on in your mind? I'm sure there was lots of thoughts going in your mind. Oh, they are going to destroy our natural environment. We will be able to walk this way again, right? <laughs> and then you see the smelling, we are coming here, you know, fresh air. And we are smelling all this gasoline. <laughs> see, all these thoughts will arise in you. So you watch your mind, means you see that and see... Cause and conditioning, you know, where did these thoughts, all these feelings and thoughts arise? Yeah, the cause is there, what is the conditioning? So that's how you look at it. That's how you try to understand cause and conditioning. This is B-A-R-R. -R. Today I talked about Sati Sambhajanya, and talked about the function of Sati, the function of Sambhajanya. I also talked about how Sati and Sanya are related. And then I talked about Sambhajanya, and I gave you the two definitions of Sabhajanya by the Buddha in the Sangita Nikaya and I also told you about the bar test. This is to summarize what I said. Now you're supposed to have a discussion. Change group, don't be in the same group. Try to mingle around. And also this is a test of your mindfulness, not a test of your intellectual ability to interpret things. What you need to do is you listen and then you tell me what you have remembered and understood from my teachings.